You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So we are in 1 Peter, and I have really enjoyed this study. In fact, if you've been here for the other two messages, you know that we've been focusing on this idea of getting a wake-up call. In other words, refocusing, awakening, if you will, to some things that Peter brings to our attention. The first sermon, we said we gave you kind of a wake-up call. Let me see how well you did and how well you remember. We gave you a wake-up call, the first sermon, to our great salvation. Good. All right, not bad. And then uh, last week, we talked about a wake-up call to flying right, flying right in the Christian life. We compared some of the imperatives of the Christian walk in life to gauges on an airplane, and we were able to use some information that our missionary Mike Coop gave us uh, and translated that over into First Peter and how that might look as we fly in the Christian life and not crash and avoid those crashes that can happen when we're not paying attention to some specific things that Peter mentioned in First Peter in chapter 1. Today, this week, and really next week, I know I'm not going to be able to get it all in, but for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about a wake-up call on this subject, spiritual formation. Now, that's a word that we don't hear very often. In fact, can I confess to you that I came in contact with that concept given to me in those words about five or six years ago, a man by the name of Francis Grubbs, Dr. Francis Grubbs. A lot of you remember Dr. Grubbs. He was an elderly man who was the president of Champion Christian College for five or six years. And man, he really focused on uh, the transformation of the Christian life and how he could invest, how we could invest our lives into these college students and see a transformation take place in their lives. And I come to, uh, came to find out that really the words, the words spiritual uh, formation really came about in the days of the Reformation. And what it simply means is this. It's a term that goes back to the Reformation that is used to describe what happens to a person after they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a day that our love awakens us, that we are born again, that we trust Christ as our Savior. But what happens next? Is there anything really other than that that's super important? Can I say that that is the very beginning of this thing called the Christian life? And the rest of our lives include things like discipleship. That comes next. After we're saved and baptized, we're then discipled. And we're going to be introducing some great opportunities to be discipled here in our church ministry if you've never had the joy of going through that kind of a process. It's called growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Spiritual transformation. Here it is, church. How is the life of Christ formed in a person. Is that important? I mean, is it just a matter of saying, yeah, I prayed that prayer. Sure. Uh, there was a day when I got saved, but, but what about now? What is changing in you? You see, how is Christ being formed in you? Second Corinthians five seventeen, for which Jordan has already brought to our attention says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. Get this. About all of you that have received Christ, old things are passed away. Peter brings some of those old things to our attention. He says, and the new has come. The new has come. 
When you are in Christ, stuff starts to change. Amen. We sang that a moment ago. He's changing us. He's changing what we see and what we seek. That's what Christ does. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. But how does it happen? How does change happen in our lives? Well, I think it might be helpful if we first cover some of the misconceptions that have to do about how this happens. First of all, the first misconception is some think it happens by being good. Well, if I could just be good enough. Isn't it interesting that when we finally realize that we can't come to Christ by being good, for some reason we think we can grow in Christ by being good. Truth of the matter is, is we grow in Christ the same way we came to Christ. You see, there was, it's not good works that brought us to Christ, and it will not be our good works that keep us in good favor with Christ. Colossians 2.6 puts it like this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, just like you did that, I want you to walk with him. I want you to grow with him exactly the same way. It's not just a one-time deal. It starts here and then here and then here, and it just keeps on going all the way to glory. You can't save yourself, church, and you can't, save, you can't change yourself. You can't save yourself and you can't change yourself. Secondly, some people think that spiritual formation happens by attending church. That's it. Yeah, I'm being changed every time I come to church. I mean, think about it right now. I mean, would you just for a moment feel it? Can you feel it? Hey, you're here. We actually have in every padded pew some special stuff. You should be feeling something by now. Man, I am this is incredible. I'm just standing in the building, and I'm a, I'm a different. How silly is that? But for some reason, we've come into this persuasion that by just attending church, yeah, I go to church. How many people do you talk to that even if you ask them if they're a Christian, they say, I attend church, as if that has anything to do with it. You know, when I was young, I grew up in a, in a Roman Catholic home in New Orleans, Louisiana, so I was a Catholic altar boy. And growing up as a Catholic altar boy, there would be periods of time where I would attend church every single day. And, and I would serve the Mass with the priest at the church at St. Catherine's of Siena in Metairie Parish. And, and, and guess when the, the Mass started every morning? 13-year-old boy, 6 a.m. I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. My daddy would wake me up. He'd say, son, we got to go to Mass. You're serving the priest today. I'd get up. I'd be ready at 5.30. We'd get to church at 5.45, and sometimes for seven days in a row, 14 days in a row, at times maybe a whole month, I would get up that early, go to church every single day. So you see, when I got saved in a Baptist church, and they told me, listen, we have church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, three to thrive, three to thrive. I said, is that all? We went to church every day. You guys are backslidden. I went to church every single day of my life. That didn't change me. That's not how spiritual formation takes place, by just sitting and soaking, souring. Number three, some people think it happens by working for God. Well, I'll just work for God. Yeah, I'll just get busy for God. Well, I'll just do, 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 do. There's nothing wrong with being involved in the work of God. 
But have you ever noticed that so many who work for God are really not like him? It's kind of strange. But we have found that there are many that are busy about doing this work for God, and yet they're not much like him. They, they, they are not being changed just because they clock in and clock out every Sunday. Even those pastors like myself in full-time Christian work, we're not being transformed just because of our title. My title this morning is, is not truly who I am. It's not just, oh, he's the pastor. He must be really spiritual. It's much more than that. How long have you known Christ? For me, it's been 41 years. And so I ask you, Erica Pacey, are you changing? Are you changing, Eric? Are you growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Are you becoming more like the Savior? Yesterday, we went to the retirement center, as we do every Saturday at 845, and we conduct a service there. And sometimes we'll sing, and I believe it was yesterday that we sang, or the week before, we sang that little old song. It's a chorus we sang years ago, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, all I ask, to be like him, all through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask, all I ask is God make me more like Jesus. It's the greatest compliment you'll ever be paid is that you remind someone of Jesus. I remember one time in Chicago years ago when I was ministering in inner city Chicago when I was a seminary student there and we were downtown and I found this family that didn't have any food in their house. Their husband had kind of abused the, the, the finances and he was an alcoholic and he had spent all their money on, on booze and they had no food. And I told the mom and the little boy that I was going to come back with groceries. And I went to the grocery store and I took what money I had and I, I bought seven, eight. My dad was with me. My, 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 my dad Zoe's papa was with me, and uh, he was visiting me that, that week at, at college, and he went with me to shop, and Dad says he never, for, he never forgot this. We go up these stairs and in this really rough area of Chicago, and we bring 10 or 12 bags of groceries, and we walk them in the house, and we open the door, and we put all the groceries on the counter, and we start putting things up, and then as we're leaving the house, the little boy says, Bye, Jesus. I looked at that little boy, and I said, Well, I'm not Jesus but I want to be like him. I want to be like him. To be like Jesus. How does this happen? Well, Peter tells us. Can you imagine today if I were to introduce, to, if I were to say to you, church, I've got, this is an incredible surprise. I didn't plan on this when I was working on the series, but I actually was able to get a hold of Peter and he's going to actually speak this morning. Everybody be like, man, I mean, preachers pulled some incredible things off, but this is way over the top. <laughs> Well, it's not going to happen. You're right. Peter's not going to walk through those doors and take over this message. But I will tell you this. God left us a living book. And this living book is just as real and powerful and fresh today as the day it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Peter. And here we are reading God's Word, living sharper than a two-edged sword, Word of God. Look with me, if you would, please, at verse 23. Peter says this. Since you have been born again. So just for a moment, can we stop here and say, uh, Peter's addressing those that have been born again. So since Jesus came into your heart. Remember that old hymn, since Jesus came into my heart. Hey, since that day, since you were born again, not of incorruptible seed, but of, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Since you've been born again, notice, through the living 
and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all the, of its glory like the flowers of grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever, and this is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit. Wait a minute. Peter's all over the place. I think Peter was probably a little bit like me, or I should say I'm like Peter. He just gets so excited. You know I'm like that. I get so excited. Sometimes I get so excited and wrapped up. In fact, this morning, preaching this message at the 9 o'clock crowd, it happened. I got so wrapped up in the truth and some of the things that I was saying to the people, I lost track of time. And I think Peter here is so wrapped up in these thoughts about the living and abiding word of God that he goes into this, all flesh is like grass and it's glory like the flower of glass and the grass withers, the flower fails. But if you think about it, it kind of makes a little bit more sense to say, since you have been born again, put away all malice. And so the first thing we see here before Peter actually gets to some things that we need to deal with in our lives before we can truly become like Christ is this. And it's number one of the three facts about spiritual formation, that spiritual formation begins with the word of God. It begins with the Bible. We're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What Peter is saying here, church, and listen, he's saying it begins with the Word of God. Now let's continue in the Word of God. It starts with God's Word, but it doesn't end there. It is a process. You started with God's Word. Let's keep it going. But there's some things we need to deal with before we can keep it going. And I'm going to call these for this sermon the filthy five of human relationships. Peter mentions five awful things, awful things. That's sad to say all too often we see these things in relationships. We see these things in, in, in churches. We see these things that pop up in our marriages, in our friendships. First of all, he says, I want you to put away some things. Number one, put away all malice. What is malice? It's the desire to cause pain. I'm going to I'm going to make you pay for that. You said that to me, I'll say that to you. You did that to me, I'll do this to you. Malice. The desire to cause pain. What does Jesus say here? Put that away. Get that out of here. That's not going anywhere good. That's destructive. There's no way to become more like me. Spiritual formation can't take place in a heart full of malice. Number two, he says, Put away all deceit. What is deceit? Deceit is simply we promise one thing and we give something else. We see this often in relationships. Nothing breaks down relationships more than trickery. More than baiting someone. And then not coming through. It's kind of like that's where this word comes from. It's to bait. To be deceitful is to bait someone. It's to trick someone. It's like putting fishing bait on the end of a hook and covering the hook real well and making it look real good so that when you throw that line in the water, right, that fish says, oh, that looks so good. Then he goes for it and realizes, oh, this is not good. It was a trick. He baited me in. That's deceit. We need to deliver what we promised. We need to come through keep our words. We need to do this with our kids. In fact, maybe the, way, the place to start is to start promising a lot less. In fact, how many of you are for huh, under-promising and over-delivering? 
Can I get an amen? I've learned that through the years. Under promise, over deliver. Be careful not to be deceitful. Here's what, here's what Peter says. Get that out of here. Put it away. That's not going anywhere good. Number three, he says, put away hypocrisy, which means playing a part. If you've ever read the New Testament, you know this already, that Jesus saved his harshest words for people who lived lives of hypocrisy. His harshest words were for people who were fakes, phonies. They were not who they really said they were. So therefore, the opposite of hypocrisy is transparency. Do you know what God's done for me as a pastor through these last 27 years of pastoring this one church? It's the only one I've ever pastored. He's taught me that I just need to be honest and transparent. You say, wow, preacher, you should have known that when you started. Well, Christ is being formed in me just like he's being formed in you. I didn't get perfect the day I got saved. In fact, I was trying to act perfect. That was the problem. The problem, I was trying to act like I had it all together. I was trying to live up to this title like I was something that you had to look up to, and I had to have it all together, and I I couldn't really talk much about the greater details of my life because maybe they'll know I'm just like them. My wife and I struggle too. My kids and I stay up late and talk about things that are uncomfortable too. Transparency. Now, now husbands, I'm going to help you right here. I'm going to give you some marital advice. Let me just say this before I say that. Now, gentlemen, pay attention. I'm going to give you some advice here. It is a privilege to be married. Amen. I just lobbed you a ball real high. That was a spike right there. Wives, if, you doesn't, if your husband didn't say amen, ask him why on the way home. <laughs> it's a privilege. My wife's not here, but I want to say amen to that. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be married. And I'm going to tell you what women are looking for. They're looking for sincerity. They're looking for transparency. And they're looking for honesty. That's what they want. You see, transparency, or disclosure rather, which is transparency, is the currency of human relationships. It's, it's the currency of you. You talk about a small group that can grow and become more like Christ. Get in a group of people that just love one another and can confess their sins to one another and love one another through hard times and share and be honest and open. The problem is pride. We don't want to open up because we're afraid somebody might know we've got some issues. Hey, join the group. Join the crowd. Amen. We've all got them. It's okay. Put away hypocrisy. Number four, put away envy, anxiety, and grief over somebody else's success. I wish what they had. I, I wish I had what they had. I wish I, I wish I had the position they had. I wish I had the house they had. Envy. And then put away, finally, slander. Because if you don't put away these other four things, eventually it's going to come out of your mouth. Eventually you're going to speak against someone. You're going to cut them down. You're going to injure them with your words. Now, let me give you the opposite of slander. We're going to get to it later on, probably four, five, six sermons down the line. We're going to finally get to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. But for now, on the screen, here it is. Fast forward to chapter 4, verse 8. The opposite of slander is this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. You say, yeah, but they hurt me. Keep loving them. Yeah, but they said this. Keep loving them. Yeah, but they let me down. Keep loving them. 
Yeah, but they didn't say, hi, keep loving them. They forgot my birthday, keep loving them. But they did me wrong, keep loving them. You say, really? Yeah, that's how you do it. You keep loving one another earnestly. It's, it's not, it's not, I'm not just talking about this little puppy love. I'm talking about a deep love for one another that can get through the problems and struggles of life. Amen. Get slander out of the church. There's no place for that in the church, in the house of God, in the families of God, in the people of God. I want you to notice a word here because I know what some of you are thinking, maybe what I was thinking. Well, man, I can do that, but there's a couple of people. I'm sorry, God. It's just, I can love everybody, but there's two people I hate, and it's just, that's just, it's just tough. You don't understand what they've done to me. So I got a couple, but God, that's pretty good. I mean, I know a lot of people. I know like a lot of people, God. So I'm all good with all of that. I'll put away those filthy five, except I'm going to hang on just because these people, yeah, they really did me wrong. So I want you to notice something. Look at verse number two and tell me what one word is used three times. But all, thank you, Kathy, all, all, all. God says, uh-uh, we're not going with the negotiation. We're not negotiating this thing. This is not everybody but one or two or three. This is put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Put it away. Because when you're able to put those things away, then the word of God can begin to really work in your heart. Notice, if you would, please, verse number 23 as we develop this thought of the spiritual formation begins with the word of God. It says in 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living. Let's stop here and just, let's just thank God for the living word of God. It is alive. God's word today is alive. It's not some old ancient book. It is alive today. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 puts it like this. The word of God is living It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We not only serve a living Savior, but we have a living book. This Bible is alive, and it's working this morning, and it's convicting this morning, and it's it's, it's able to, 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 to convict us and even to cut into the deepest parts of our lives and change us. It's an amazing book. And so I want you to notice with me four things that describe God's Word in this text. And Peter brings them all out. First of all, the first word is the word abide. The word of God is abiding. It's living. It's abiding. Look with me, if you would, please, where it says, through the living and abiding word of God. It goes on to say that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls. But the word of the Lord, here it is, it abides. It's not going anywhere. It remains forever. Hallelujah. What is the scripture teaching us here? Well, it's basically saying that people will fail you. Places will fail you. People will wither. But the word of God, it will never fail. It remains forever. The word of God is special. Proverbs 24, 35 puts it like, rather Matthew 24, 35 puts it like this, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Man, listen, the word of God is going out of this place right now. It is alive. It's, it can change us if we'll put away these things and allow it to change us this morning. It will do that. That's what I love about our missions conferences. We, we, we get to give and then we get to share these incredible victories. That's what that video was all about. We, we pack up these little shoe boxes and we go to the dollar store or wherever and we put these little items and we close it up. But when we close it up, they're putting the word of God in there. Notice that after they open the gift and get over the temporary joy of seeing toys, there's a 12-week what? Bible study that results in kids coming to know what? Christ. Are you with me? The word of God, every time you pick up a box, it's not just going to Walmart and to a little kid under a tree. It's going to spread the word. The word's going out of here. Every dollar you give to Faith Promise Missions results. I had uh, got, I grabbed one of our missions letters before I came to the service here. And uh, let me see if I can find it. It was from Mike Coop, and it just it read that Mike is uh, over there. Man, he's talking about, you know, how shall they heal without a preacher? And he's given a lot of scripture in this latest update, August 2019. And then he goes on to share that they're preaching the word in one of the Caribbean nations to thousands of people who've been affected by a storm. And he mentions that 440 have trusted Christ as their savior as a result of the word of God going out of this place. You see, it's not just about you know, throwing a few dollars into faith promise. It's about getting the word of God out. Connect the two. That everything we give to missions is getting the word. That's why I love the Gideons. I love the Gideons. I love it when the Gideons tell me 100% of what you give is going to Bibles. I love that. That's easy to give to. I have no problem giving to the Gideons, knowing that the word is going out. It's alive. It changes lives. Then I want you to notice the next thing about the Word of God. Not only is the Word of God abiding, but it's good news. It's good news. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 25. But the Word of the Lord remains forever, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Hallelujah. It's good news. Oh, listen, if we had our, could hold our Bibles up this morning or our electronic devices where the Word is, I want you to know you hold in your hands, you have on your lap, Good news. It's the best news you could ever hear. It's not always comfortable news. It's not always easy news. But it's always good news. It's always good news. And I've been uncomfortable before hearing the good news. For the first time I heard the good news, September the 1st, 1978, I was sitting in a little Baptist church that my mom had invited us to. We went to St. John the Baptist Catholic Church over here, and, and uh, we were attending there, and, and, and we weren't under the influence of the gospel. It was going out somewhat monotone, and, 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 and at that time, different pastors and different leaders can have different ways of communicating the gospel, but we weren't getting it at that time. My mom had been saved about a year before Brett and I were saved, and she started attending a little Baptist church in town, and she finally invited us to the Baptist church, and this preacher actually stood up, opened his Bible, and he started talking, walking down the, in the crowd. Then he would raise his voice, and this vein would pop out of his neck. I'd never seen this. I'm like, whoa. And then every now and then, he would give illustrations. He would use his hands. And sometimes he'd do this. And every now and then he'd give an illustration. I remember one time he gave an illustration about hunting with some dogs. And 
he actually got on his all fours and he was barking like a dog. I mean, just, he was just illustrating. Just, that's all he was doing. It wasn't a weird thing. It wasn't, it was just, he was just trying to show us, you know, how a particular dog barked. And I was, I remember looking at my mother saying, mother, this, this is crazy. Where have you brought us? But I could not deny one thing. There was something in that man that was alive. He was excited. I'd never been to anything like it before. I'd never seen anything like this before. The only time I'd ever seen anybody get a little bit like that excited was at a ball game. Never church. Never church. No. Just a ball game. But this dude, it was another level. I, leave, I left that auditorium. I didn't want any part of that because I was scared. I just, man, I had to process. So my mom puts us in this little Christian school because the school only went up to the eighth grade. And so my dad wanted to send a private Christian school. So he was paying child support to my mother and he raised the child support enough to pay tuition, which was pretty cool. And so they started paying tuition for me to attend this little baby Christian school, little dinky school. Sonia Chittam was a teacher at the school. I was just a little 13-year-old kid, bowl haircut, Roman Catholic altar boy. Monday was good, Tuesday was good, Wednesday was good, Thursday was okay. I mean, we were school was school, right? Friday, chapel service, and guess who came in? The vain guy. <laughs> yeah, the guy that spits when he preaches. Yep, that guy. The guy that has the audacity to leave the platform and actually walk out in front of the... This was, it was him! At the time, I would have said it was the freak, the weirdo, the whack job, the crazy guy that gets as excited as people do at ball games in church. Can you imagine anybody getting excited about Jesus in church? I thought it was just the strangest thing. You don't do that. He preached again, and this time I could not escape. It was so uncomfortable. I was wiggling in my seat. I was trying to not step out, but boy, as soon as I did, it got so comfortable. I took that first step, and it got easy, and it became good news. And I knelt down in front of the Lord's Supper table, prayed the sinner's prayer. Not that the sinner's prayer saved me, but I'm not ashamed to tell my testimony. I'm not going to try to be politically correct. I prayed, and God saved me. Amen. I'm just going to tell my story. With, I, don't, you know, I know we got all kinds of different interpretations. Everybody's afraid of the way you say it these days. Bless God, I got born again. Hallelujah. People don't just get saved today. They get saved 41 years ago. I'm just simply saying this. You're looking at one old boy that got the good news. And it's been 41 years. I'm still pretty excited about it. And now I, now I usually get more excited than I do at a ball game. Yeah, I'm just like him now. I, I love it. I love what God's done in my life. Why? Because I'm becoming more like him. He's being formed in my life. And the word of God is not only abiding, but it's becoming good news. And then thirdly, it's nourishing. It's food for my soul. Notice in verse number two, it says, like newborn babes or infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up unto salvation. Peter is simply saying here in this passage that just like a baby needs milk, you, my friend, me, I need God's word. Just as a baby needs milk, we need to grow up in God's word or we will starve. Let me ask you something. Or let me, let me actually say something in regards to this question. Pastor, I am spiritually impoverished. I'm just, 
I'm struggling. I, 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 I am not growing spiritually. I just pastor. Help me. I'm going to help you. I got other things I can help you with, but let me just make it real quick. You need to get in the Word. I'm telling you, that changes. You need to get in the Word. I've never met anyone who's in the Word who is starving spiritually. It just doesn't happen that way. The Word of God is what we get to to get that longing, that, that impoverished feeling filled. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. I love that statement, grow up unto salvation. That's more than conversion. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1 when we talked about what salvation, what conversion looks like. It starts, we talked about election. We talked about regeneration. We talked about uh, justification. We talked about sanctification. We kind of went through that process, and that was a few weeks ago. Now, here we are today seeing that this is more than conversion. There is a growth process here. He is changing us. My conversion experience, church, was 41 years ago. 41 years ago, there was this moment that I got saved. And by the way, I want to just say a word for people getting saved today. Cedar, raise your hand, Cedar. Cedar got saved yesterday. Amen. (laughs) Woo! Hallelujah. Uncle Stan, my man. Stan the man. I love it. Got to pray with Cedar. Had a little girl yesterday come up to me at the retirement center. One of our little girls here in our church. Ike Hand, his wife back there. Give me your first name again, little. I'm sorry, Marlena? Yeah. Nine-year-old girl, right? Nine. Or nine. Eight-year-old daughter. So we're in the retirement center, and she comes to, to the retirement center to do the service with us, and she runs up to me. She says, Preacher. I go, What's that, sweetheart? She says, I don't get baptized. I got saved. That was yesterday. Cedar was yesterday. Next Sunday, we're baptizing. We're gonna, I know right now we've got a minimum of four baptisms already lined up for next week. I mean, people are getting saved today. The Word of God is alive. It's not just 41 years ago it happened to me. It hadn't happened since. We're just hoping it'll happen again. He's really hoping somebody will get saved, you know. People are getting saved all around the world all the time, every day. Why? Because the Word of God is alive, and it's real, and it's powerful. It's nourishing. And then finally, it's satisfying. Look at verse 2 and 3. This is beautiful. I love this. It says here, after putting, putting away all those things and desiring as newborn infants the pure spiritual milk, it says, if, you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen? I kind of said that like, you know, finger licking good. Now, I don't mean to be, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be, sarcastic about this, but I do mean this. Folks, the Lord is good. Amen? He's good. I went to a, a, a black Bible study this week, an African-American Bible study over at, uh, oh man, uh, behind the convention center. Visitor's Chapel. Woo! Travis, you in here? Oh man, that's good, wasn't it? Man, you get yourself in that Bible study. It ain't like, okay guys, we're going to just have a little talk today. It's like, <laughs> I just want to say the Lord is good. And everybody goes, yeah. He said, what'd you do? I went, yeah. I got into it. I was a little late. Travis texted me. We're having a black Bible study. Man, it's good. 
That's what he texted me. You texted me that. I still got the text. I said, I'm coming, man. I'm coming. And we had to present the community center to, uh, to some people. It was amazing. He's good. He satisfies. Let me show you here. <clears throat> it's the same word. The word good there is the same word. This is really interesting. Used in Matthew 11 when Jesus said, my yoke is easy. The same word. My, hey, the Lord is good. He's easy. My yoke is easy. In other words, have you ever had a friend that's just easy to be around? I want to say this this morning. I have found that God's word is just easy to be around. It's comforting. I want to give you three ways that God's word is like a friend to me. Number one, because I know I can trust it. He'll never lie. This book will never lie. Thank you. Always tells the truth. She never lies. Number two, it knows me exactly as I am. Sometimes I read the Bible, I'm like, who told you? How did you know I've got that exact issue? My flesh is weak. It nails me every time. And then thirdly, and it kind of has something to do with number two, and that is this, it cuts right to the chase in my life. The Word of God doesn't mess around. You know, sometimes friends beat around the bush, not the Word. I mean, my preaching is much more liberal than the Word. I'm like, I soft pedal it. God loves you, but this, you know, I'm having a hard time saying it because I don't want to offend you. And God just says, boom. And Eric, what are you doing, man? Just say it. If you love the guy, say it. That's the way God works. He just says it. God's word is amazing. He's a, this, word, this book is a friend to me. And it can be a friend to you. Don't be afraid of God's word. Get comfortable with it. It's an amazing book. And then finally, spiritual formation begins with the word of God. And then secondly, spiritual formation is built by the son of God. We're going to spend more time next week on this subject. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But it's built by the son of God. Notice it says here in verse number four, and I love this. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, speaking of Jesus, in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being, here it is, you're being built up. You're being built up. No more babies. No more babies. We're being built up in the word, built up by the son of God, the chief cornerstone. And that's what the scripture's teaching us here. Notice it goes on to say, built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture. We'll come to that in just in a moment. But being built up in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. In just a moment, we're going to sing about the cornerstone in our invitation. Christ alone, cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. He's the cornerstone. Yesterday, you know, I found out when I studied, I was studying about brick mason and how brick mason works. And I know you're a brick mason. And they, I don't know if they term it like this today, but the first stone is the cornerstone. That's the first stone they lay in this little thing I was studying. And yesterday, I did a wedding for Tyler Dauber, right? Tyler got married, our drummer, to a beautiful bride named Sarah. Great family. Listen to this. 
This happened yesterday. And when it happened, I was like, thank you, Jesus. This is what I needed to illustrate. I didn't have a closing illustration. God, thank you. So I'm over here with Tyler, and we're, we got our suits on, putting our little flowers on. We're talking, and Tyler said, oh, preacher, you got to help with the, with the unity sand. I've never helped with the unity sand. I, I step aside. You light the candle. You pour the sand. Don't, what, what do you mean I need to help? And then Tyler, you got to know Tyler. He goes, well, you're God. I'm not God. He goes, no, in the unity, in the, in the, you're going to picture God in the, in, the, in, the, in the process. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's white sand, and there's gray sand, and there's blue sand. And he said, preacher, I'm going to have the gray sand, and Sarah's going to have the blue sand, but I want you to have the white sand because I want you to represent God in the process. I said, go on. He said, preacher, when, you, when we do the sand, I want you to come over and grab the white sand, and I want you to stand in between us. And I want you to pour first the white sand. I want you to lay the cornerstone. I'm like, he goes, that needs to be the foundation of Sarah's and I's marriage. And then, preacher, after you pour the white sand, we're going to start pouring our sand in. But here's where it gets tough, preacher. I got goose pimples right now. Anybody else got goose? I've got goose pimples. He said, don't stop pouring. We're going to be pouring. You just keep pouring, preacher. But pour really slow. If you were there yesterday, you saw me kind of, it was ner- I was nervous. I was like pouring, I mean, to pour the whole time somebody's pouring back. And I kept doing it. I was nervous, but I kept slowly pouring the sand. And he said, preacher, that just means that while we're pouring into our marriages, God's never leaving us. He's always there. So when I finished pouring the sand and I looked at it, there was a white foundation at the bottom, but then all through every layer of blue and gray was white, representing God. The cornerstone. The cornerstone. I'm saying here this morning, if you have never come to know and receive this cornerstone, if you've not laid that at the, as the foundation of your life, then I ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he died to pay for the penalty for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he was God? Do you believe that God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? If you believe that, praise God. You are saved and you are to be transformed by the word of God and changing every day. But if you don't believe that, and you may ask, well, what if I don't believe that preacher a lot? I hate that you had to ask that, but it says here in verse seven, behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honest for who, for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You ever noticed how offensive sometimes Jesus is to people? I've never heard a cuss word with Muhammad used in it. I've never heard a cuss word with Buddha used in it. The only time they ever cuss is when they use Jesus' name. It's the only time they ever cuss. Because you see, the message is offensive. You die without Christ, your life is cursed forever. Spend an eternity in hell. Apart from Christ, he is the only way to heaven. And that can be offensive. But I can tell you one thing. 
Oh, when you receive that good news and come under the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not ashamed of it. And he is not ashamed of you. And it's a powerful, powerful truth. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you're like me at age 13 or 14 or 23 or 33 or 70, it doesn't matter. If you've never received Christ, would you today respond to the gospel? Maybe take a moment to walk down the aisle and let me or someone pray with you about how you can come to know Christ or come see me after the service. And if you are saved, I pray that God will use these two weeks as we talk about Christ being formed in us to become more like Christ, to make it a goal for the Word of God to become living and abiding and nourishing in us, satisfying as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to stand in just a moment. If you need to come, the altars are open. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your Word. God, what a great Sunday it's been. Father, I know that your word is powerful. It's changed my life. God, it changed my life starting September the 1st, 1978, when you awakened me with your love. God, ever since that day, you're changing me. You're changing me even right now as I preach, as I share this prayer. I'm different. Lord, I just feel as if even through the last 30 minutes, I'm not the man I was when I first stood up in this pulpit. God, you're changing me every day my family, even through this illness, you're changing me. God, I want to be different. I want to be more like you, God. May your word penetrate this cold heart this morning. Make me more like your son, Jesus. May we all come to that place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? You respond as God wants you to.